On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Red Sox, talking about the players going to the All-Star Game next week, so we'll break down each of the five guys that will be going. We will also give you an update on the Red Sox recent play, and they've been playing really, really well. It's been good to see, so we'll get more in-depth on that. We'll also take a look at the um, All-Star rosters and the Home Run Derby field, which has been set, Um, and we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around Major League Baseball, and then we will get to the Patriots, get to Nikhil Harry and his agent requesting a trade, so we'll get into all that um, and just kind of take a look at some spots that uh, could be places that he could land, what the Patriots might get in return, talk about all that. Uh, We will also get to Mac Jones signing his rookie deal and just some other news and notes from around football. There's not a lot as training camp is getting closer and closer. Uh, We will get to the NBA. We'll talk about the Celtics, some quick off-season thoughts, and then we'll get you guys to a uh, finals update, talk about game one of the finals. Game two is tonight, so we'll talk about that. Um, And we'll also get to some other notes from around the NBA. Then we will get to the NHL. We'll talk a little Bruins. They've signed a couple of young players to new contracts. We'll talk about that. I'll also talk about some change-ups, some change in the coaching staff um, and what that means for the Bruins next season. We'll also get to the Stanley Cup final update. The Lightning have won the Stanley Cup championship for the second straight year, so we'll get into all that. They clinched last night with a Game 5 win, so we'll talk about all that. Um, And then we will also talk about some uh, notes from around the NHL, including a big thank you to NBC for their coverage of the NHL the last 15 years or so. Um, And then we will also get to the Revolution and talk about the European Championship Final, which takes place on Sunday. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. And today, pretty quiet in terms of uh, Boston sports, but uh, plenty of other stuff to get to. You know, not going to say that there's no Boston sports to talk about because, you know, there always is stuff to talk about. Um, But might be a little light in terms of what we're getting from the local teams. But um, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also read my uh, written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. Just wrote an article yesterday about the uh, five Red Sox that will be going to the All-Star Game next week in Denver. And that's where we'll start today, talking about the the Red Sox and the uh, All-Star rosters being announced I uh, will take a look at the full All-Star rosters in a little bit. Uh, but first, 
you know, I think it makes sense to start with the uh, five Red Sox that will be heading to Denver for the All-Star festivities. Home Run Derby is on Monday. Game is on Tuesday. So um, Red Sox sending five players to the All-Star game. First time they've done that since 2009. Um, Now it's just... It's just been such an interesting season for the Red Sox that, you know, obviously started out about as poorly as you can, you know, losing your first three games at home to arguably one of the worst teams in baseball. Um, And so, you know, I think that for the most part, the Red Sox have done unbelievably well. You know, sure, they've had some series where they've lost to, you know, lesser teams. They're, you know, coming off one of those in a couple of days, in the last couple of days, losing two out of three to uh, the Angels and Shohei Otani, who's just, uh, just I mean, not human. The numbers that he is racking up at a ridiculous rate, and we'll talk about him uh, in a little bit uh, when we talk about home run derby All Star game. But it's been a really successful year for the Red Sox, and you know, at the point that they are sitting at. Uh, 54 and 34, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, sitting in a spot that I don't think any of us thought they were going to be in really at any point in the season. You know, it's uh, just something that is the Red Sox just have everything has worked out for them. You know, I think even in my, you know, wildest dreams of, okay, here's how things could go if everything turns out perfectly. I even didn't even think they could be in this position, you know, approaching 60 wins, you know, close to the All-Star break. They won't get to 60 before the All-Star break. But, you know, being in the position that they're in is, you know, one of the best teams, not only in the American League, but in the entire Major League Baseball. Um, So it really goes to show you that it's been a season that has just defied expectation, you know, and I think especially when you look at the pitching, it's exceeded expectations to, you know, ridiculous proportions, if you really think about it. Um, And it's not like the Red Sox have a number of guys who have been unbelievable lights out every single time they pitch, but you've been getting consistent outings from guys like Martin Perez, guys like Nick Pavetta, that you really did not know what you were going to get from them this year. Um, I think that, you know, Rodriguez is definitely been pitching poorly, which is not something that I think a lot of us saw coming, but guys like Nate Evaldi have picked him up um, and, you know, he'll be going to the All-Star game and that's where we'll start. So Evaldi making the All-Star team for the first time, nine and five in ERA, I think just over 3.6, but he's been the Red Sox best starter. He's been their most consistent guy. Um, He's really done an excellent job of of anchoring that bullpen or uh, that starting rotation. And it's put them in a position where they can welcome Chris Hale back into the rotation in a few weeks, and this rotation could get better, you know, which is kind of scary if you think about it. Um, It will be interesting to see, you know, what the thought process is with someone moving to the bullpen, because undoubtedly that's going to happen. I don't think that they're going to roll a six-man rotation, but, you know, that will be interesting. But Ivaldi just has been really good, really special this year. You know, he's not blowing guys away necessarily. You know, I think he's like third on the team in strikeouts, but he's been very consistent and has been very consistent in getting guys out, has had a lot of quality starts, and he's made all his starts. He's not missed a start this year. So 
you know, it's good to see, you know, I think that they're, it's legitimate to maybe have some concerns because he's a guy that, you know, in general is not able to throw a lot of innings, but, you know, the Red Sox, I think have done a good job where they're not letting their starters go too deep into ball games, you know, and I think that that's been part of the reason why I think Ivaldi has been so good is he's been fresh, you know, they're not throwing him out there for seven innings, you know, they're ready to pull him after five and two thirds, things like that, you know, and so making sure that he can be as economical as possible with his, with, with his innings. So it's, it's just been an excellent year for him. You know, I think that he's a guy who I think a lot of people were, were hard on for a while and were wondering, you know, why, why do you sign this guy for a big extension, you know, after that 18 world series, it really seems like this year is the first year he's put it together and has stayed healthy and has been their best, most consistent pitcher um, in that starting rotation. Um, and in the bullpen, Matt Barnes has been excellent. You know, he gets a nod to the All-Star game, which is just great to see. And I wrote about this yesterday that, you know, Matt Barnes, you, you feel for a guy like that who really has done just about everything the Red Sox have asked him to do. He's pitched in just about every situation. He's been a starter, he's been a reliever, and now he's a closer. It's like the guy's done everything. And I think that it's great that he was able to get some recognition. And obviously you get the recognition if you pitch well enough. And so obviously he's been one of the best closers in the American League, is 19 saves, and has been very reliable. Is a guy that comes into games and, you know, you're very confident that he'll be able to hold the lead and get the save. So he's been really excellent and uh, just great to see him get some recognition. Now, in terms of the, the other three guys, you know, I'm not terribly surprised that they made the all-star team. You know, I think with Devers and Bogarts, they're, you know, two of the most talented players in the American league and, you know, all goes according to plan. They should make the all-star team, which has happened. You know, Bogarts has been hitting for average the entire year. He's been really excellent defensively. You know, really one of those guys that you never have to worry about. You know, just a guy that will always be giving you good at-bats, will be really solid defensively, and just is a guy that's reliable. And it doesn't just mean that, oh, you know, he's not someone that's going to jump out at you, because he does. You know, he's a guy who has been really solid, really consistent, but can come out of nowhere and you know, Billy, really be spectacular when the team needs him to be. Um, and, you know, Devers has been unbelievable this season. You know, he's been a guy who has really, you know, it's, it's really made strides in terms of, you know, improving various parts in his game. You know, I think that last season, and at some points this season, you know, he's... Um, capable of or sometimes he stretches the strike zone and you know has had issues with that he's had issues with this defense but it really seems like this year he's made strides and is putting together a season that I think you know he keeps playing at this level there's a possibility he could be close to you know an MVP winner you know possibility that he's a finalist for American League MVP if he continues to play the way that he is um and then you got J.D. Martinez, who has been really excellent. You know, another guy who struggled for majority of last season. You know, Devers did struggle 
for the first part of last season and then started to pick it up. But Martinez really had a tough time last year. But, you know, he's picked up right where he has left off and has been just a really excellent hitter, you know, and he's always been that in his career. Um, And the Red Sox, I think, are getting exactly what they would expect from some of their big guns on offense. Um, But I also think that they've been getting great hitting from elsewhere. You know, Hunter Renfro has been unbelievable. It's like we keep, I keep mentioning him every week because he just continues to be really, really hot over the last two months or so. Um, Obviously didn't get a nod to the all-star game, but this Red Sox lineup is deep. And I think that there are certain guys that are starting to pick it up. Kike, Kike Hernandez has started to hit better. You know, I still think that they are a little lacking in terms of that leadoff spot, but I think that, you know, maybe Hernandez just needed a little bit of time and he started to, you know, hit some home runs, drive in runs, and be a solid leadoff hitter. And the Red Sox have also been getting solid hitting lately from Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, he's a guy who's batting average was down pretty low at you know various points this season but it seems like last couple weeks he's improved so you really have an offense that is capable of carrying you when your pitching is having a hard time and the Red Sox kind of went through that for a couple weeks but it's just something about this team that um, it just makes you believe that this can be a special group that this can be a team that could be similar to 2013 come from out of nowhere and make a championship run. I think that based on the way that they have played this season, nothing is out of the question in terms of what they can accomplish. And it's kind of crazy because I think to be perfectly honest, a lot of us, including myself, thought that this was going to be a bridge year, thought that this was going to be a year that, okay, maybe overachieve a little bit and maybe you get a couple games out of the playoffs, but you know, this team is now in position to win a division title and possibly be a team that could win a World Series, which is just crazy when you think about where this team was in the offseason when they're signing guys like Renfro and Hernandez and Garrett Richards, and people are like, oh, like, this isn't what the Red Sox usually do. They usually go out and spend big, but let me tell you, Heim Bloom is one of the smartest executives in the game and he's building a winner and building a team that is built for long-term success which is exactly what you exactly what the point is in sports right the whole point is to make your team as competitive as possible for as long as you can and I think that they're definitely on the right track you know from where, where they were last season um, and maybe even going back as far as to after the Mookie trade Um, but it's been really excellent first half of the season for, for the Red Sox. So, um, the recent play has been a little bit concerning Red Sox dropping, uh, two out of three against the angels starting pitchers had, had some trouble in this series. Uh, Otani hit a couple of home runs the last two games. Uh, Jared Walsh went deep for the angels twice yesterday. I want to say, um, and Red Sox dropped two out of three, but they will return home to play Philadelphia for three games at Fenway. Uh, the Red Sox coming back from a six-game road trip in which they won three and lost three. A number of you know close games that went down to the wire. None of these games were decided by more than more than two runs, which was the second game against the Angels was five three. But every other game 
on this road trip within a run. Red Sox take two out of three from Oakland. Nick Pavetta was excellent on the 4th of July as the Red Sox shut out the A's and won the series. And then the Red Sox get the win in the first game against the Angels but lost the last two. Red Sox will travel today and then will host the Phillies. So the Red Sox sitting 54-34, and 34, two and a half games in front of Tampa Bay for as Tampa Bay is in second. They've won four in a row. They won a couple in a doubleheader yesterday, so that lead is a little smaller than it was a couple days ago. But the uh, we'll take a look at the standings in a little bit, take a look around the rest of the league. But the Red Sox with a pretty healthy advantage, I would say, in the division. And, you know, I think that offensively, guys have continued to impress. You know, Bogart's leading the team in batting average up there in on-base percentage and slugging percentage. Uh, Devers with 20 homers and 70 RBIs prior to the All-Star break. So uh, very good possibility to see him right in the middle of MVP consideration at the end of the season. Uh, the Red Sox, looking at their team numbers, third in the American League in batting average, second in runs, fourth in slugging percentage, and then the pitching. The most interesting thing for me is the amount of quality starts. The Red Sox are currently 20th in Major League Baseball, um, but I think that they've been getting effective enough pitching. You know, I think that as much as the statistics may show that they're kind of middle of the pack pitching-wise, I think that, you know, effectiveness has really helped the Red Sox, that they're not, you know, that they're being aware of when pitchers are losing their effectiveness and when they know they can go to the bullpen. Um, you know, Matt Barnes obviously is getting the recognition, but so many of those other guys in the bullpen really deserve some credit for, you know, putting together a bullpen that's really been excellent. You know, minus a couple of games, you have guys like Garrett Whitlock, Sal Mora, Josh Taylor, uh, Darwinson Hernandez, um, Ottavino. You have all these guys who've been really, really excellent, and I think it's you know, Matt Barnes will get, you know, all the credit, and rightfully so, uh, with this season that he's had. But I also think that you got to give credit to the rest of the Red Sox bullpen as the majority of the guys in that bullpen have been really, really good. You know, very good, very consistent ERAs that are are under three for most of them. You know, I think Andreese is the only guy whose ERA is, is higher. I mean, he's been, he's struggled, you know, pretty much any game he's entered in this season, he's struggled. But you're getting great pitching from pretty much everyone else, which has been excellent to see. So the Red Sox closing out the official end of the first half of the season with three games against the Phillies. And then they will open up the second half of the season, I believe, against the Yankees. So Red Sox and Phillies tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday to close out the first half. And then the Red Sox will play... The Yankees in New York, July 15th. That will be when the second half of the season starts. Red Sox will start the second half with four games in New York and then three games in in Buffalo playing the Blue Jays. So before we take a look at the standings, I think it would make sense for us to look at the official all-star rosters. I think we looked at the starters Last week, the rest of the teams have been announced, um, and I think it would make sense for us to go team by team and take a look at the players that have been selected. Um, 
So Red Sox, obviously, already talked about the five. Matt Barnes, Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Ivaldi, J.D. Martinez, Devers, and Bogarts will be starters. Um, it sounds like Ivaldi will pitch in this game. Um, you know, it really depends on whether Matt Barnes pitches. Uh, J.D. Martinez, be curious to see if he gets in for a couple at-bats as Otani will be the, I think he'll be the starting DH. I don't believe that he is starting the game pitching. I know that he will pitch at one point. Um, taking a look at the Blue Jays, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, and Marcus Simeon. Uh, Guerrero, Guerrero, Hernandez, and Simeon are all starters. So those four guys go into the All-Star game. Blue Jays have been a really excellent offensive team. Uh, the Astros, really no surprises here. Um, Altuve and Correa on the team. Ryan Presley, right-handed pitcher, also in. Michael Brantley, outfielder, also in. And so we are going through, actually, all the teams in terms of the numbers of players that they have. So I think we'll stick with the American League. Yankees with Chapman, Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge voted in as a starter, so they will be in. For the White Sox, you have Liam Hendricks, Lance Lynn, and Carlos Rodon will be on the All-Star team. So three pitchers from the White Sox. The Angels, Mike Trout, and Otani selected as starters. And Jared Walsh is also going to the All-Star game. For the Rangers, you have Joey Gallo, Gallo, um, Adoles Garcia, and Kyle Gibson. Three of them going, I almost said, uh, Joey Galloway, the former wide receiver in the NFL, but no, Joey Gallo, Rangers outfielder, uh, will be going um, the Cleveland sending Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez, the Rays sending Mike Zunino, who is going to the All-Star game for the first time, Orioles sending Cedric Mullins, the Tigers sending Gregory Soto, Royals sending Sal Perez, who will be the starting catcher. Uh, Twins sending Nelson Cruz. Matt Olson from the A's will be going. You say Kikuchi from the Mariners will uh, be going to the All-Star game. Um, and now, moving over to the National League, Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks will be in as a third baseman. Rockies sending Herman Marquez. The Marlins sending Trevor Rogers, who's had a really excellent season, um, the rookie season. He's been really good. Mets sending Jacob DeGrom. No surprises there. Did hear, though, that he might be skipping the game. So possibility that there's a replacement for him. Um, but he was selected initially to the team. The Phillies, JT Realmuto and Zach Wheeler getting selected. The Pirates sending Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier. Frazier will start at second base for the National League. The Cardinals sending Alex Reyes and Nolan Arenado, who will start at third base. The Cubs sending Chris Bryant and Craig Kimbrell. The Reds sending Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. Uh, both of them will start in the outfield. The first Reds duo to start in the All-Star game in the outfield since 1956. The Dodgers sending Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor. Giants sending Kevin Gossman, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey. Posey will start as catcher. The Brewers sending a couple pitchers to the All-Star game. Corbin Burns, Josh Heater, and Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff, excuse me. 
and the Braves sending Acuna, who will start. Freddie Freeman will also start, so they will start outfield and first base, respectively. Ozzie Albies also selected to the team. The Nationals sending Juan Soto, Trey Turner, and Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber probably will not play, as I think he recently suffered a hamstring injury, so probably he won't play. Um, the Padres sending Jake Cronenworth at second base. Hugh Darvish, Mark Melanson, and Fernando Tatis will start at shortstop. So that is what we have for all the All-Stars being selected. We'll take a quick look at the Home Run Derby, as uh, Home Run Derby's always been a fun thing to watch, um, as the um, rules have changed over the years that it's kind of a, a timed thing, so it makes it uh, a lot more interesting, um, in my opinion. So definitely... If you're not doing anything better on Monday night, definitely tune into this. So you'll see Shohei Otani, who will be the uh, number one seed in the Home Run Derby with the uh, the top seed getting the, I think the top seed getting the most home runs. Um, so he will kind of be the big star to watch um, at the Home Run Derby and will really be uh, a sight to see if you've not seen him play in person. Um, this is going to be really exciting to see him compete. So he will compete against Juan Soto. So eight guys competing in kind of a bracket challenge. So um, Otani and Soto will face off in a first-round matchup, and then you will see Joey Gallo for the Rangers against Trevor Story, the hometown guy from the Rockies. So the um, All-Star Game and Home Run Derby at Coors Field in Colorado. Obviously, we all know about Colorado with the uh, offensive numbers that uh, go way up with the uh, the thin the thin air out there. So this will be definitely a fun uh, a fun derby to watch. Um, and then in the other half of the bracket, Matt Olson and Trey Mancini will face off, um, and then you have Salvador Perez and Pete Alonso who last who's the uh, last winner of this competition in 2019. So it will be definitely a a sight to see for uh, Major League Baseball. Both of these events are always fun to watch. So uh, tune in for the Home Run Derby, 8 o'clock on Monday night, and then the All-Star Game is Tuesday at 8. So uh, Red Sox with uh, probably some chances that maybe one of their guys could win MVP. Uh, but it will be great to see the Red Sox getting the some of the players getting the recognition that I think that they deserve. So just some little notes from around baseball. Um, obviously mentioned that DeGrom might be missing the All-Star game. Uh, Dodgers sending Clayton Kershaw to the injured list. And uh, actually yesterday with uh, Otani's 32nd home run of the season, he uh, broke a record for most home runs by a Japanese player. Uh, which is ridiculous, breaking that record in about half a season. Matsui hit 31 homers in 2004, so Otani obviously with 32, and uh, holy cow, this would be a fun, exciting thing to watch if he continues to hit home runs at the rate he's hitting them, and maybe he has an outside chance at hitting 60. Uh, that will be a fun thing to kind of keep keep watching over the course of the season. Um as we take a look at the standings, obviously Red Sox two and a half games up on the Rays in the American League East. Red Sox sitting at 
54 and 34 actually have the same identical home and away record. The Rays have won four straight, so it's making things a little interesting. Um, but the Yankees and the Blue Jays way back. Blue Jays eight games back, Yankees eight and a half. In the Central, the White Sox have built a commanding lead on the Indi- on uh, Cleveland, who has lost nine straight games, and the White Sox currently in first by eight games. So uh, big time, big time lead for the White Sox there as they sit 51 and 35. In the American League West, the A's have gone cold. They have lost three straight games and seven of their last 10. So they are currently five and a half back of the first place Astros who have won six in a row, and they've been uh, probably the hottest team in the American League over the last week or so. The Red Sox did, you know, win seven, eight straight games, and they were pretty hot, but uh, the Astros have been really, really good lately as their uh, home record. Very strong run differential, by far the best in the American League. In the National League, we'll move over. The Mets currently have a four-game lead on the Nationals, for first place, Mets at 45 and 38 have a very excellent home record. Their road record, uh, not very good, but they are have they do have a pretty healthy advantage over the Nationals, the Braves, and the Phillies, who are Nationals four games back, Braves and Phillies four and a half. The Brewers in the Central have uh, shot to the top of the division over the last couple months. They are six games in front. Of the Reds, and then you have the Cubs falling way back to eight and a half back, as they had recently lost nine straight games. They won yesterday, but uh, the Brewers really distancing themselves at the top of the division at the moment. They've won seven of ten, and then in the West, the San Francisco Giants still with the best record in baseball, uh, a one a game and a half lead on the Dodgers and four and a half on the Padres. Dodgers have lost three straight after winning seven in a row. So the Giants still maintaining that lead for first place in the West. That's going to be a fun division to watch. You have all three teams that uh, absolutely, I think at the moment, you know, they currently are in position to send three teams to the playoffs with the uh, two wildcard teams still in play. If you want to do that for the American League at the moment, you would see... At the moment, you would see the Red Sox, the White Sox, and Houston winning the divisions, and then the wild card teams would be the Rays and the A's. So, before we move on to a little football, would like to announce that uh, Eric Bellier will be joining the show next week as we will do a recap of the Home Run Derby, recap of the All Star Game, and do a quick look ahead to the second half of the season. So I'm very excited to uh, talk with Eric, talk about the Mets, and see how uh, see what he thinks about the Mets' first half of the season. Uh, so we will kind of uh, reassess where our, both of our teams are at after the beginning of the season, where I had no idea where the Red Sox were going. And uh, lo and behold, they have a better record than the Mets. So I'll give Eric a pretty good razzing uh, next week. So looking forward to talking to him in a week. So... As we move on to the NFL, obviously, the two big news out of the two pieces of big news out of the Patriots camp is uh, Mac Jones signing his uh, rookie deal 
the other day, getting a four-year deal with an option for a fifth. I think that's pretty common for first-round picks. So really excited. You know, really excited to see what he does, what he looks like in training camp, what what the heck the Patriots' plan is for using him in the preseason, you know, and just seeing what happens, you know, seeing if he does well enough to win that starting job or do the Patriots stick with Cam Newton? You know, I think I've I said this from the beginning. I think it's Cam's job to lose. I think unless anything, anything crazy happens, like Cam suffers an injury or, you know, he just plays really poorly and Mac Jones just outshines him to the point that it's just impossible to ignore. Um, But I think that the Patriots are in a good spot with the quarterback position because I know everyone has the trepidation about Cam Newton and, you know, whether he can be good enough next season to, you know, put this team in a position where they can compete. And I get it. I understand that some people are concerned based on the way that, you know, last season went. But I think that, you know, before we start, You know, and yes, Cam Newton was bad. There were some games where he was very bad, and I was definitely someone that, you know, was a big critic of him. But I also think that, you know, the Patriots, in terms of talent, had one of the worst wide receiving cores in the league last year. You know, you also had Cam Newton coming in, you know, at a pretty bad time in terms of, you know, where the league was last year at this point in time, you know, when he came in in June, that there really wasn't a lot of time for him to, you know, settle into the offense and settle into the Patriots that, you know, you basically asked him to come in in June and, you know, go into training camp, go into a truncated training camp with no preseason and expect him to be, you know, this MVP candidate or whatever people thought he was going to be. And so I think that, He'll have a better group of players. I just think that he'll be better this season. I really think that um, the, there won't be a reason to not have him be the starting quarterback unless there's an injury. I really think that he'll have a good bounce back year. You know, he doesn't need to be an MVP. I probably shouldn't have said that, but, you know, he just needs to be a good solid quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over and can complete short to intermediate throws. He really doesn't need to do anything more than that. You know, the people that say, oh, well, he can't throw the ball, you know, 30 yards down the field. Well, in this offense, do you really need to do that that often? I mean, I get it that, yes, sometimes you do have to stretch the field. But if you look at the personnel the Patriots have on offense, I really don't think that they're an offense that really needs to have an offense that's throwing the deep ball constantly. And to be perfectly honest, I hate to say it, but... You know, Tom Brady's not Tom Brady was not exactly the most accurate deep ball thrower over the last three over the last few years. So I really don't think that that's a big that's a big deal. But, you know, going back to Jones, I think that it's going to be an interesting, an interesting summer for him, you know, as a rookie quarterback. And, you know, ideally him being in the position to take over the offense next season. And I think that he's very capable of it. You know, I think that he impressed a lot of people in the mandatory minicamp, and I think that has said and done all the right things, you know? So 
I think that it's going to be I think it's going to be an exciting preseason to, and training camp. So uh, training camp will get started in a couple weeks. There'll be some sessions that are open to the public in the last last week of July, and then they have a, a stadium session on August 10th, I believe. I have to go look and see when their first preseason game is. We'll actually do that really quickly. Patriots will play... I don't know why I list the regular season first. Patriots will play their first preseason game August 12th at Gillette against Washington. So the Patriots will have um, a good amount of time at training camp before they have their first preseason game. Patriots playing three preseason games this season, Washington, Philadelphia, and the Giants. So those three teams where Patriots will play August 12th, 19th, and 29th. So I think it makes sense for us to get to the other bit of big news in Patriot land. Uh, Nikhil Harry formally requesting a trade. He and his agent making it clear that he would like to continue his career somewhere else. Um, so obviously it's not a huge surprise, um, to be perfectly honest. I think that um, he's a guy that just... Unfortunately, things just didn't work out here. And I know that there are a lot of people that want to, you know, make this uh, referendum on how much they don't like Nikhil Harry or how much the Patriots are not good at drafting wide receivers. And I'll just tell you that the NFL draft, for the most part, is a crapshoot. And if we really want to play the game that, oh, they should have drafted this guy, well, you could play that game with just about any other team in professional sports like I get it that it's a fair argument but at the end of the day it's crapshoot you know you don't know who is going to pan out in what way you don't know who is going to pan out well you don't know who won't pan out you know I think that maybe it comes down to scouting that maybe the Patriots are not you know scouting the right guys but it's like I just think it's it just, it, it is what it is. Some guys pan out for whatever reason, and some guys don't. You know, whether it's, were they overdrafted? You know, were they not in the right situation? Were they not in the correct offense? You know, all these things. And so I think, I don't know, to make it a referendum on the player is, you know, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to tell people that they shouldn't, should or shouldn't, you know, think a certain way or say certain things. But I think that, you know, and I've said this multiple times, you know, you have to consider what his first two seasons looked like. You know, you can't just plainly look at his numbers and be like, oh, he sucks. You know, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you draft a different wide receiver and the exact same thing happens in terms of he gets an injury in the third preseason game, misses the first nine weeks of the season, you know, has to come in with just absolutely really no idea of how he fits in and you have to you're somehow expecting him to be this you know unbelievable receiver I get it he's a first round pick but it's just like I don't know how you can expect someone to come in after missing half the season and set the world on fire and then his second season you get a quarterback that a quarterback situation that's totally up in the air you don't get a quarterback who really understood the system as well as he could have you know you have a pandemic 
You know, it's just like, and I don't want to, I don't want to make excuses for him. I don't want to say that, oh, he struggled just because of these things. Because yes, there were plenty of games last season where he didn't make an impact. There were a couple games where he had some catches, but he didn't make the impact that he should have made. You know, he gets passed on the depth chart by an undrafted free agent. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, make excuses again. But I think that it's just important to know those things, you know, before we say that, oh, he's a total bust, he sucks. I think that he finds a different team and maybe finds some success there. You know, I just think that sometimes players just need a change of scenery and players just need to be in a different environment where maybe there's not as much pressure on them. You know, you know, being a first round pick in the NFL is an incredibly tough thing to live up to, you know, and I think that. One of the things I saw on Twitter yesterday is like, you know, you look at Nikhil Harry's, you you look at his highlights and, you know, a lot of his highlights are, you know, going up for jump balls and being physical and things like that. And it's just like, that might not, that might not be the best way to, you know, judge a player, to scout a player that, okay, he be, he'll be able to do the same thing in college that he did in the NFL because guys are bigger faster and they're better in the NFL and you know did the Patriots utilize his skill set the best way you know maybe not but you know it's just I think it's just it just didn't work out I think that's just the end of the day it just didn't work out you can say whatever you want the Patriots oh they you know suck at drafting wide receivers but to be perfectly honest the amount of success or not success it's similar to other teams you know not everyone not every single team is very, is great at developing wide receivers, and it can be for a, a myriad of different reasons. Um, but I just think, you know, it just it's too bad. It's too bad that it went wrong. I think that, you know, you would have liked him to perform better, um, and I think you would have had, you know, I yeah. It's just it's it's hard to know, you know, what exactly went wrong, um, but. You know, it did, and, you know, this is the position that they're in, and, you know, I wouldn't expect that the Patriots get too much in return for Nikhil Harry. You know, really is just any team that feels like they need a receiver that, you know, maybe is a bit of a reclamation project that, you know, maybe they can put him in the best position to succeed, you know, and I think that I'm not really sure what that team could be. You know, it was rumored that Washington was interested in him a couple of months ago. Um, so there's a possibility you could re- revisit that. You know, you're not going to get much, I don't think, other than maybe a fourth-round pick, third-round pick. Like, you're not going to get anything significant. You probably won't get a player back. Um, you know, so it's just, things just didn't work out. But I do expect the Patriots will be in the market for um, potentially another body at wide receiver. Um, because you are going to need more than, you know, three kind of guys that you're confident in, in Aguilar, Bourne, and Jacoby Myers. You're going to need a little bit more at that position. So I'd be curious to see what their thought process is is there. Um, you know, I was hoping that, you know, Nikhil would stick around and try to improve on his, you know, subpar season last year. But, you know, respect to him that he feels like, he wants to get a, a, a fresher start and all the power to him. You know, it's too bad it didn't work out here, but I wish him nothing but the best. Um, you know, whatever. People are going to say whatever they're going to say in this town. 
and be overly negative. I've just come to accept that. Um, but you know, wish wish Nikhil nothing but the best. So we'll see what's next for him. But expect that that move comes um, in the near future, probably in the next week or so, or next couple weeks before training camp. Um, I would not be surprised if this happens in the next couple days. So just some other NFL notes. Uh, Trevor Lawrence signing his rookie deal, getting a pretty big $36.8 million rookie deal. Um, And then, yeah, there's really, you know, not a whole lot else going on. I mean, there's, you know, more of the situation with uh, Stephon Gilmore, but, you know, nothing's really changed there. Um, training camp will approach, you know, as I said, it's going to be a really fun training camp. I think you're going to see a lot of competitive juices come out. Um, or you're going to see a lot of guys with their competitive juices flowing because I think that while you have a lot of talent, there's going to be a lot of um, exciting position battles uh, to, to watch. Um, and I think especially if this Stephon Gilmore situation continues to be you know, he continues to hold out. Um, cornerback could be very, very interesting. But I'll just say again, I would rather keep him than not. I think some people are being a little bit too too cavalier in terms of, oh, you know, let him go. I'm not really sure you want to do that. I'll just be honest. But um, it's going to be a really fun competitive training camp. A lot of guys going to be, you know, getting after it. And I think there are a number of guys that know that they have to perform in this training camp. Um, but it will be fun. It'll be exciting. You're going to see a really talented team um, on the field in the fall. So let's move on to the NBA. Some Celtics notes. The Celtics um, officially bringing in two assistant coaches. Uh, Will Hardy, who was a former assistant under Greg Popovich, also, or actually, I think I think it was just him that was in San Antonio over the last few years. So he will join. Um, Ime Udoka on the sideline. The Celtics also hiring uh, former NBA point guard Damon Stoudemire, who was a NBA rookie of the year in 1996, uh, played in the NBA for about 10 or 11 seasons, uh, most of which was with the Portland Trailblazers, uh, finished his career with the Spurs, also was on the same team as Ime Udoka. The two of them actually grew up together. Um, Stoudemire had recently coached the University of Pacific of the Pacific, um, and it, you know, turned them around in the last couple of years from, from what I understand. So, um, Stoudemire also, also known as mighty mouse guy that was five ten but was a really solid, uh, scorer, especially earlier, early in his career. Um, and so I think that it's, it's a great fit. I think it's great that the Celtics can, you know, bring in it. I don't want to say a vet because he's not a player. Uh, but someone who has had experience playing in the NBA recently um, and someone who knows the coach very well. Um, and I think that it's hiring these two assistants are only going to make things easier for Coach Udoka. Um, and just, I think just having a, a veteran player like Stoudemire is really going to help some of the young guys and really, you know, help unlock some of the guys' potential. I'd really be curious to see if he works with Marcus Smart uh, closely in terms of Marcus being more of um, a ball distributor uh, rather than a shooter. So I'd be very curious to see. So I'm really looking forward to what uh, kind of some fresh perspectives uh, can bring on that Celtics bench. Uh, Joe Mazzula, who is also a Celtics assistant, 
over the last few years will return. Uh, Jay Laranaga will not return. Jamie Young also will not return. Um, I haven't heard anything. I don't think anyone's heard anything about Evan Turner. Uh, so one would assume that he would return to the Celtics coaching uh, staff, if you will, next season. Um, so uh, Coach Udoka really doing a great job building out um, his coaching staff and then, you know, get into free agency at the end of the month, or I think beginning of August, and, you know, fill out the rest of this roster. Um, Coach Udoka and Jason Tatum going to Tokyo to compete at the Olympics. Uh, Jason Tatum will wear Kobe Bryant's old uh, number 10 for Team USA. So that's uh, quite an honor for Jason. You know, him and Kobe, obviously, were were very close. Um, So it's just such an exciting time for for Jason. You know, I think that getting the honor of playing for Team USA and, you know, being there competing with, you know, your, your, your head coach is just, you know, something that you really, you don't really get to experience very much, really at all. So, I really hope that Jason enjoys his time. You know, honestly, it doesn't really matter to me how he plays. It'd be great if he played, you know, unbelievable and helped the team win, win a medal. But I think just having that experience and, you know, being on a world stage and, you know, really understanding what it is to be an NBA superstar and I'll be honest, it'd be great if he did some uh, recruiting for some other guys that are soon to be free agents, not going to name names. Uh, NBA is not gonna not gonna find me twenty five thousand for trying to <laughs> trying to um, tamper, but uh, it will be a fun experience for Jason. It'll be a fun experience for those guys on the Team USA team. So I think that um, I can't remember what the dates are. We'll get the dates when it gets closer for Team USA to compete in uh, the Olympics. So that will be a fun sight to see both of them going to Tokyo. So. Now we'll get to the NBA Finals, give you guys a little update on how the series is going. Game 2 tonight, the Suns taking Game 1, 118-105 in Game 1. A lot of, I had a lot of notes from this game. Um, So the Suns, I think obviously was not surprised that they won the first game. Um, I think just the way that they play team basketball is just so much fun to watch. You have Devin Booker, who is a you know, superstar in this league of Chris Paul, who's also another superstar in this league. You know, he's one of the older guys, but um, is just, when he's on his game, he is so hard to stop. And he was excellent, um, again, in game one, having 32 points. Uh, or is 32 or 29? I can't remember. Uh, Booker had 27. And then you have DeAndre Ayton, who has just been so fun to watch, you know, seeing him develop into a star big man you know a guy that had a 20.15 rebound game the second player in finals history to ever do that Kareem was the other and it's just you know you're really seeing the the coronation of a team that is really going to be special you have an excellent coach in Monty Williams you have a couple of star players you have an up-and-coming star in Aiden and you have a tremendous tremendous bench that's really deep, you know, full of guys that can come in and, you know, do whatever the team asks. You know, you look at a guy like Campaign who has, you know, revitalized his career and has been an excellent backup point guard uh, for this run for Phoenix. It's a guy who really is a walking bucket at this point, can get to the basket, can shoot the three, is a really solid hard-nosed defender. Um, 
And then you have guys like Tory Craig, who, you know, is not someone that's going to blow you away in terms of what they do athletically, but he is someone that can guard multiple positions, can give you really good hard-nosed defense, and can knock down the occasional three. And then they have guys like Jay Crowder, who just has been a tremendous asset for them this season, was a tremendous asset for the Heat last season when they made the finals. You know, just a guy that you really you really respect as a guy that's really seen it all as a second round pick in 2012 and really was kind of an afterthought. And I really think Brad Stevens and the Celtics did an excellent job of revitalizing his career and being able to allow him to be a a glue guy in the last couple of years. Um, And has been a guy that's just been just so fun to watch. He just competes and, you know, it's just like watching him the last couple of nights. It's been very telling that, man, the Celtics miss that type of stuff. You miss his hard-nosed, chip-on-his-shoulder chip type of play. You know, he maybe made one shot on in Game 1 and was just as much of a factor as some of the other bench guys. I haven't even gotten to talk about Cam Johnson. I mean, what a what an interesting road he has had three years at, at, uh, at Pitt in college and then played at UNC. Um, and as a guy that knocks down threes, gets out in transition with uh, transition buckets and plays good defense. You know, I was saying to someone that, you know, his type of player, or that type of player, is exactly what I think the Celtics want Aaron Neesmith to become. Someone that can be aggressive offensively, get to the basket, can knock down threes, but can also give you good hard-nosed defense and a guy that hustles. So uh, really it'd been a fun Phoenix Suns team to watch. Uh, but you have Milwaukee, who is... You know, I think it's definitely, you got to respect them. You know, beating that Nets team in seven games, a hard-fought series against the Hawks, in which they lost Giannis in game four and had to turn to Chris Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez to close out that series. And all three of them were excellent. Um, you know, Middleton was good in game one. I thought Lopez was good in game one. Uh, the Suns did an excellent job at isolating Lopez in one-on-one situations. Uh, with Booker and Paul, and they really kind of took advantage of that. I'd be curious to see what the uh, Bucks do to um, stop that. Do they have uh, an, a plan B? Um, but, you know, Middleton was good in Game 1. Lopez was too. You know, I think that Phoenix losing Dario Saric to a torn ACL uh, could end up being a big problem, um, especially if Aiden gets into foul trouble. Um, and you have Lopez in there, who is an absolute beast in the paint. And so I think that, you know, Phoenix being a little shorthanded in terms of size, you know, could come back to be an issue. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do to try to combat that. But, you know, Milwaukee needs Drew Holiday to be an aggressive playmaker, but also someone that makes shots. It's 4 for 14 in Game 1. They need more from him if they're going to win this series. Um, and we haven't even gotten to Giannis, who I thought was really solid in Game 1. Not really as aggressive as I thought he would be, but then again, you know, he's coming off a pretty gruesome left knee hyperextension. Which, I'll be honest, when I first saw that, I thought he was done for the playoffs. I really thought that, okay, this is it for the Bucks, and the Hawks are going to win the series. Um, I really did not think that we would see him return, but 
he has was pretty good at 17 rebounds, 20 points. But I think that, you know, the Bucks need more from Drew Holiday if they're going to make this a series. You know, Phoenix is going to play great, excellent team basketball and are going to be able to, you know, score, not at will, because I think you have two very good defensive teams in this series, but um, for the Bucks to have any shot at winning this series, Drew Holiday needs to play at the level he did when Giannis got hurt. Um, if not, I think this series will be over quick. I think that Phoenix, I think at the beginning of the series, I thought Phoenix in five, um, they're Phoenix and six, excuse me, but I think it could be Phoenix and five or possibly a sweep if Drew Holiday does not, you know, pick it up a little bit. Now, he almost had a triple-double last game. You know, it doesn't mean that he was bad, but you need more in the scoring department from him. You need him to knock down some shots um, if you're going to win. So big game two tonight. Bucks, I think, really, really need this game. I really think that they cannot afford to go down 0-2. Going back to Milwaukee, things might change in Milwaukee, but, you know, if you're the Bucks, do everything you can to try to steal this game tonight. And as far as Phoenix, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep keep leading with Chris Paul, Devin Booker until they until they stop you defensively. So, um, I think the Bucks get it back tonight. I do think that they do. I think Giannis turns in a good performance. I think that Drew Holiday has a good bounce back game, and the Bucks tie the series. But we'll see. So, just other NBA notes. Obviously, you mentioned Jason Tatum wearing Kobe's number ten. Uh, Dario Sarge tearing his ACL in game one, so he will be unavailable the rest of the series, obviously. Um, Adam Silver also mentioned the other day that the NBA play-in tournament will most likely return. I think it's great. You know, I think that it's a good way to, you know, keep things interesting at the end of the season, that you don't have teams just coasting into the playoffs. Um, I think that it's a good idea to keep things, keep things competitive. Um, you know, it's a good win for the Celtics. Good that they could get a win in the play-in tournament so they could, you know, feel good about something. But I think it, yeah, it just makes the end of the season that much more interesting um, that, yeah, you don't have teams that are just cruising in, you know, like the Lakers tried to do, you know, in that seven seed and, you know, had to play some, some meaningful games. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. You know, I don't really get why people wouldn't want to have it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the schedule looks like, you know, next season as presumably it goes back to a full 82-game um, schedule starting in October, November for some reason. I can't remember when the last season started because the last season that was a normal one was 2019. I can't remember if it was a like mid-October start or like a November start. I think it was mid-October, but It'd be interesting to see if the league does go back to 82, you know, and then you see the, the play-in tournament, how that factors how that factors in. So that will be um, interesting to watch. Free agency will start. Uh, teams can start negotiating with players August 2nd. Free agency begins on August 6th. Um, and we will get you guys, keep you guys updated on Team USA basketball and give you dates and times for those games when we can figure those, when we can figure that out. So that, with that being said, we will move to the NHL. Before we get to the Tampa Bay Lightning, we will get to the Bruins. There's some a, a number of Bruins news that has come in over the last couple weeks. 
Uh, Jay Pandolfo will take a job at Boston University, so he was on the Bruins bench this past season. Um, so he will have some role at BU behind the bench. Uh, Jay Leach, the coach for the Providence Bruins, will take um, an assistant coach job in Seattle, so he will join Dave Haxtall's staff um, in Seattle. So wish Jay nothing, or both guys, both Jays, uh, nothing but um, nothing but good luck for the both of them starting or starting a new a new chapter. So that means the Bruins will be a little bit short in terms of uh, some some assistant coaches. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Over the next few weeks, the Bruins bring in Chris Kelly onto the Bruins bench. Um, you know, it'll be very, very interesting um, to see who the Bruins bring in to Boston and then who they get to uh, coach the Providence Bruins. So that will be uh, very interesting to see. Um, and then you have a couple of new contracts that were signed right after airing last week. Uh, Trent Frederick signed the uh, a two-year, $1 million deal, or $1 million per year um, co- new contract with the Bruins. So I think that he's someone that I would expect to compete for a fourth-line job. I think that it would be a mistake if he's not, you know, in your starting lineup on opening night. I think that he's a guy that needs to have more ice time, needs to have consistent ice time. And um, I don't know. I would have liked to see him in the playoffs on a, a game or two, you know, just to see what what you get. I know there are a lot of people like, oh, you know, didn't play very much. Why why would you just throw someone in with no experience? Well, he has to get get experience at some point. So um, good to see him back. You know, I think that the Bruins, you know, really missed the edge on that fourth line this past season. It really just never materialized for that group. Um, with with Corrali, with Wagner, with whoever was in there, whether it was uh, Frederick, Carson Kuhlman, you know, whoever it was. You know, the Bruins really seem to have a hard time getting a consistent group on that line. So um, Curtis Lazar seemed to do pretty well after coming in in the trade. He kind of leveled off a little bit in the playoffs. Um, but I think Frederick will be a good, will be good to bring back and good to have him compete for uh, some fourth-line minutes. Another guy who might compete for fourth line minutes, Cam Hughes, who signed um, a one year deal the other day, seven hundred thousand, I believe, or no, seven hundred fifty thousand. So he played a couple games for the Bruins last season. Did play in the season finale against the Capitals and was pretty solid. He'll be a guy that will compete uh, for some fourth line minutes next season. And then Jonah Kapanen. Kop- the Bruins um, signed him to a one-year deal. Um, he's been in Providence for the last couple of years, um, had 18 points in 43 games two years ago, and then played, I think, 20 or 21 games in Providence this season, in the shortened season. Um, so I'm not really sure what to expect from him. He's a guy who's a big body, uh, possibly maybe challenged for fourth line minutes. I'm not really sure. It might just be uh, kind of a Providence depth piece. So uh, Bruins getting a couple players under contract, so uh, free agency will start. I don't know when the exact date is, but it's sometime after the NHL draft and obviously after the expansion draft. So I uh, wouldn't expect the Bruins to sign any of their big free agents, you know, until after free agency starts because you don't want to be, you know, having to protect an, another extra body 
before the expansion draft. Expansion draft is exactly, I think it's exactly two weeks from today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, or actually, no, it's yesterday. It was two weeks, two weeks ago yesterday. So July 21st, the Seattle Kraken will um, make their selections. The uh, protected lists have to be submitted by July 17th. So we are approaching that date almost a week away from that. So we will move on. Tampa Bay Lightning finishing off their five-game win in the Stanley Cup Final over the Canadians last night, winning Game 5, one to nothing. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky was excellent, was excellent. This entire playoff run really has been excellent the last two playoff runs for the Lightning. So he wins Conn Smythe as playoff MVP as he improved to, I think, 14-0 after a loss in the last two playoffs. Just absolutely unbelievable, you know, showing why he's the best goalie in the league. You know, yeah, he didn't win the Vezina this year, but I think it was kind of a case of you're not necessarily going to give the Vezina to the best goalie every single year. You know, Vasilevsky, to me, has been the best goalie in the league the last couple of years. And, you know, you can't keep giving the guy, giving the guy the same award. Or you can't keep giving the same guy the same award. It's the same idea that, like, LeBron James probably should win MVP every single year. You know, but he just doesn't because you can't give it to the same guy. So um, he was excellent. You know, I think that Tampa Bay definitely will go down as one of the most talented teams. You know, winning back-to-back is, is always special. First team to do it since the Penguins did in 16 and 17, so kudos to them. Played a good series. You know, I think that, unfortunately, Montreal just was overmatched. Um, You know, and credit to them, they put together a really impressive run. You know, hard for me to admit that being a Bruins fan, but um, they played some really good hockey. They were a team that um, a lot of people enjoyed, enjoyed watching. You know, a lot of good, solid young players. Cole Caulfield, is going to be a name to watch for, like, the next decade. Um, and Carey Price, you know, really just being an old, old reliable, you know, guy who, you know, you think that he, he'll, he'll be, you know, you think that he'll be down and out, and then he comes in with an unbelievable playoff run. Um, he was excellent for them in the playoffs. I just think at the end of the day, Tampa Bay just, just, just too much for them. Um, but credit to them going as far as they did, going all the way to Stanley Cup, winning um, a game four in overtime, which was a probably the most interesting game of this of the final. You know, it's unfortunate that it came. You know, when it did, would have liked to have that game earlier in the series, so we'd have a little bit of a little bit of suspense. But um, Tampa Bay winning back to back cups, and um, that's it for the NHL season. It's kind of crazy to. To, to think that the, the season is over kind of felt like it dragged on a little bit. But, um, yeah, as we come to the, to the end of the season and the end of um, NBC's broadcast deal, um, it only makes sense to, to say thank you to NBC for a tremendous job that they did, you know, really bringing, bringing the NHL and bringing the sport of hockey to a point that it can grow and you know, everyone has their own thoughts about NBC, about maybe the announcers, what they did or didn't do well, but, you know, they did a tremendous job. You know, the Winter Classic, you know, all these different events that 
you know, they made so special. You know, made the outdoor game this year. Bruins playing at Lake Tahoe. So, you know, they definitely deserve some credit for what they've done for the for the sport of hockey and the NHL is the league will now move back to ESPN and move to TNT. And, you know, it really was nice to see a special send-off video um, narrated by the great Doc Emmerich. That video um, is on Twitter, if you can find it, on the NBC Sports or NBCSN or one of those Twitter accounts, a great video. Um, just talking about all the, all the things that NBC did for um, the sport of hockey and... I think that it's definitely worth, you know, taking a moment to, to say thank you and all the, and the, the great job that they did, I think, bringing the sport to a point that it can grow and can grow exponentially going on ESPN and, you know, more people can be aware of, I don't want to say be aware of the league's existence, but hopefully bring the sport to more eyes. And get more people interested, get more casual fans into being more, you know, diehard fans. So, you know, but don't blink because you might miss it. The ESPN's coverage, you know, will start right away with the draft, um, with the expansion draft and the entry draft. And, well, that will be, that will be a lot of fun. The NHL also announced last week some events. Uh, Vegas will host the All-Star Game next year and then there'll be outdoor games in minnesota the wild playing the blues and then the stadium series the lightning playing the playing the predators in nashville um, so those are just a couple events that will happen next season um, also <laughs> very kind of late breaking or not really late breaking it was broke maybe yesterday or the day before um, that vladimir tarasenko has requested requested a trade from the Blues and has a number of people wondering, oh, you know, should the Bruins be be interested in that? And I honestly think they should, you know. I may have mentioned this when we did the the offseason preview for the Bruins a couple weeks ago, but I really think that this Bruins team is in a position where they kind of really need to go all in. Um, I think they, you know, owe it to the, the old core that probably has like one more run left in them. Um, but I think that for the Bruins to go all in and make a move like this, I would definitely be in favor of that. Uh, I don't know what it would take. I don't even want to begin to wonder what it would take, but um, if the Bruins could somehow get that done, I think that makes the team exponentially more dangerous. You have Tarasenko, who is a, you know, low-key, a superstar talent. I know a lot of people forget about him a little bit, uh, but I think that, yeah, it would definitely be... Uh, a good, a good, solid idea for the Bruins to to take a look at. Um, so, taking a look at just some other notes on NHL.com, the uh, Predators looking to potentially make a deal with Seattle as maybe they are not wanting them to take a certain player. That will be interesting to see what what teams choose to try to negotiate with Seattle so they can avoid, you know, taking a player that. You know, a team doesn't want to lose. I think Minnesota could definitely be in position to try to negotiate as they might very well might lose my, Matt Dumba. Uh, I think that that would be something interesting to watch. I don't think the Bruins are going to be doing that. You know, I think that Seattle has a couple of options, assuming that some of these guys are left um, unprotect, uh, unprotected. 
whether that's Nick Ritchie, whether that's Jake DeBrusque, um, whether that's Lausanne or Connor Clifton. You know, I don't think DeBrusque is going to be left unprotected, uh, but I think that your best bet is Seattle's probably taking one of those young defensemen. So, you know, it's going to leave a little bit of a hole on the Bruins' back line as they're going to have to, you know, make a decision on, you know, who, who might return. Um, Stephen Camper um, has also, I think, joined a team in the KHL, if I'm not mistaken. So the Bruins will have to um, take a look at replacing him as he was kind of a sixth or kind of like a seventh, eighth defenseman, got in some games um, at various points this season, suffered an injury, I think, either during or either in the playoffs or before the playoffs, um, left the Bruins a little a little shorthanded. So um, one last little note. Um, it was really um, horrible to hear about the uh, tragic accident with uh, Matisse Kiplenix, who passed away um, a couple of days ago. Um, just really tragic and really, you know, feel for the Columbus organization and, you know, his teammates. And it just is, you know, really kind of overshadowed, I think, the last couple of days of the Stanley Cup final and just kind of the celebration of hockey that, you know, you lose someone who, you know, was, was so young and had potentially a solid career ahead of him. Um, so it just was a really a, a somber note over the last few days. So definitely um, sending out our my thoughts to the Columbus organization um, and his family as well. Uh, just a horrible, tragic accident that, you know, you would hope never happens to, to anyone you know or anyone close to you. And it just is, um, I just felt like I needed to say something about that. There's no way I was going to let this podcast go without without saying some words you know I didn't know his career very well you know watched him play a couple games in Columbus um, but a lot of his teammates had a lot of really positive things to say and you know that's one of the things about the sport of hockey is you know guys come together and guys love each other and it was really touching to see some of the nice comments made by a number of his teammates who just I think are just are just devastated you know you never want to lose someone close to you. You never want to lose a teammate, a loved one, you know, whoever it is. So um, again, my thoughts going out to the Columbus Blue Jackets organization um, and Matisse's family. Um, so I think we'll move on to talk about the revolution, the revolution with a tough loss last night, three to two at home against Toronto revolution, having their five game home win streak snapped uh, Toronto scoring three times in the first 24 minutes. Uh, the Revolution were without Matt Turner in this game. Brad Knighton, the backup goalie, had a uh, really tough game. Had a first goal that was a uh, miscommunication and a misplay, which uh, really just can't happen. Um, it just, at, at any level, you cannot see that. You cannot have that mistake happen. Uh, the Revolution really just kind of poor defensively in this game. Uh, Toronto getting a couple goals then after um, and then the Revs getting a couple goals in the second half. Uh, Carlos Heels scoring a spectacular free kick goal. Um, definitely go back and watch that if you can. It was just a thing of beauty to see him. Um, Adam Buxa also scored in the second half, but the Revolution ultimately were not able to get the tying goal, so they lose three to two. And um, you know, not not a not a result you want to see against a Toronto team that had won one game. Uh, 
one game to this point in the season prior to last night. So, um, you know, it happens. Losses happen. Losses to bad teams happen. You know, you're going to have bad games. It's just kind of the nature the nature of sports. You know, it happens. But um, I think the Revolution really got to clean it up defensively, you know, if they're going to be a team that's going to be a team to beat in, in the playoffs or in the uh, in, in Major League Soccer. Revolution still in first place in the East with a three-point lead over Orlando City SC. Revolution also had tied in Columbus last weekend. Columbus opening up their brand-new stadium. Revs played pretty well, uh, did blow a two-goal lead, which was not fun to watch, but um, getting a point nonetheless in a environment that was uh, pretty hostile. Uh, Tejan Buchanan scoring and uh, Gustavo Bell also scoring in that game. So the Revolution, 24 points, seven wins, three losses, and three draws. Revolution's next game is on... It is a week from Saturday. Revolution will play Atlanta at 5 o'clock. Atlanta currently two two wins, three losses, and six ties. They have 12 points, so they're kind of near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. But as we saw last night, you really can't take any team for granted. Um, and, you know, the Revolution just, I think, just got to be better. Um, Gustavo Bo leading the team in goals. Buxo with five. Uh, Buchanan with three, and then also you have Carlos Heal, who's just been an unbelievable talent to watch. Um, seven assists on the season. I don't think that's right. I think that that, is, that statistic is wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been amazing. Carlos Heal's been amazing. Just been a guy that's just such a pleasure to watch. I know that maybe a lot of you guys that listen to this podcast are not the biggest soccer fans, but holy cow, you got to watch him play. He is a tremendous talent. Revolution really knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park by bringing him in, signing him to an extension um, a couple months ago, and you know, it's really given the Revolution hope that you know maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year they can win a championship. It's been a long time since they've been you know this good and this relevant. So. Um, it's good to see, you know, Bo and Buxa, the designated players, playing really well. Matt Turner playing at an unbelievable level. You know, he's on the Gold Cup roster for Team USA, which will be a fun tournament to watch. So that's why he wasn't playing last night. Um, so the Revolution, I think, really hoping they can get Matt Turner back sooner rather than later based on uh, Knighton's performance last night. You know, did make some good saves to his credit. You know, I think he improved in the second half, but Yikes, that mistake and that first goal just can't happen. So, Revolution next game is a week from Saturday against Atlanta. That game is also that game is at Gillette at 5 o'clock. So, before we go, give you guys a little update on the UEFA Euro Championship. The uh, final taking place on Sunday, England against Italy. Both teams winning beyond regulation in the semifinals. Um, Italy beating, beating Spain in penalty kicks, um, then England winning in extra time thanks to a penalty kick goal that uh, is definitely rife with some controversy. As uh, apparently there was some, there was a fan or some fans that pointed a laser pointer at the uh, Denmark goalie right before Harry Kane was about to step up and uh, take the penalty kick. Obviously, kick was saved, scored on the rebound. Um, a lot of people thought that uh, England kind of got away with. Not much on the 
potential uh, the call for the penalty as some people thought it was a soft call and I'll be honest it was a soft call you know I think I've seen more contact with nothing called but you know it's the nature of the game it's the nature of sports um, bad calls happen um, but the final will be England against Italy on Sunday Italy really I think has been you know start to this point in the tournament start to almost finish have been the best team in the tournament. I think that they've been the most impressive um, in almost all their games. Um, continue that with a win in penalty kicks. You know, England's been solid. I wouldn't say that they've been great. You know, they've been good in the knockout stage, obviously. Uh, combined scores of 8-1 to one in their three knockout games. Um, Italy, a couple of their games have been close. Two of them went past regulation, then they beat Belgium in the quarterfinals. But I think you're going to see a, a fantastic final. Two teams that are incredibly talented. Um, it's going to be a really fun game to watch. Just hope that we see some goals. Hope that we don't see a one nothing um, extra time game. It feels like we've seen a lot of those games um, in like major tournament finals in the last number of years. Um, I just hope we get a lot of goals. I want to see a 3-2 game. I want to see a 4-2 game. I want to see something like that. I want to see the last World Cup final where uh, France scored five goals. I want to see something like that. But it uh, should be an excellent game, so uh, tune in for that, 3 o'clock on ESPN on Sunday. So that that probably does it for me this week. I know it's a little short. There's not a whole lot of news, but we will have a lot on next week's podcast as Eric Bellier will join us, will join me. That will be a lot of fun. Um, so as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And uh, everyone have a great rest of your day, have a great weekend. And uh, Eric and I will talk to you next week.